This week is the third week of Advent. Remember that Advent just means the coming, the anticipated coming of something. And it's a word we use in the church to refer to the coming of Jesus. Advent is the season that is four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And this week at Anniston First, we're observing the third week of Advent. Our sermon series for this season is The Gift of Being Present. And this week, the theme is joy. So we're talking about being present with joy. For many of us, we look around during this Christmas season, and there's a lot of joy. There is exciting Christmas carols, and there's getting together with friends and family, an awful lot of celebrating, and a lot of joy. But there are also those among us for whom the celebrations seem a little out of sync. They're not experiencing joy in this particular moment. And they struggle a little with all of the celebration going on around them. We're actually going to look today in our time together at how joy can coexist with things that do the opposite, that rob us of our joy, that take that feeling of joy away from us. Our scripture passage is going to come to us today from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, verses 41 through 55. This is the account of of Mary, the mother of Jesus, visiting her cousin Elizabeth. In the unfolding of our gospel story, an angel appears to a young woman named Mary and shares with her that she is going to miraculously conceive a child by the Holy Spirit that will be the long-awaited promised Savior of the world, the Messiah or the Christ. And to confirm that what, what he is prophesying is what's going to come about. The angel actually shares with her the news that her cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. Elizabeth was an older woman, an older cousin in her family who had passed beyond the time when most people thought she would be able to conceive. But she is indeed pregnant with a child. And the child that Elizabeth carries will become John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, the forerunner of Jesus who prepares the way for him. And if you go back and listen to the previous week's teachings, you will hear us talk some about John the Baptist, who was a colorful character, fulfilling his role in prophecy as well. So Mary travels to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And this, the passage that we're going to read in Scripture is the exchange between these two women. Let's be sure that we understand all of the complexities of what is happening. Mary is a young woman. She's probably in her teens. Scholars are divided on whether she's in her younger teens or her older teens, but it would have been very common for women to have married between 15 and 19. So she is assuredly in her teens who have not yet been married. And now she's going to be pregnant before she has gotten married. This places her very life in danger. Because a woman who is found to be pregnant with child before coming together with her husband is accused of adultery. And she could be put to death for it. And yet we are going to hear her joyful outburst as she greets and meets with her cousin Elizabeth. The reason she is able to do this is because she believes to the very heart and core and center of her being that the child that she carries in her womb is just as the angel has told her 
that it is a gift from God. It is a gift of God. It is a gift not only to her, but to the entire world. And that what is unfolding is, in fact, the holiest of matters. Let's hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 55. As soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child in her womb leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why am I so favored that the mother of the Messiah should come to me? The moment your greeting reached my ears, the child in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that what our God said to her would be accomplished. And Mary responds, My soul proclaims your greatness, O God, and my spirit rejoices in you, my Savior, for you have looked with favor upon your lowly servant. And from this day forward, all generations will call me blessed. For you, the Almighty, have done great things for me, and holy is your name. Your mercy reaches from age to age for those who fear you. You have shown strength with your arm. You have scattered the proud in their conceit. You have deposed the mighty from their thrones and raised the lowly to high places. You have filled the hungry with good things, and you have sent the rich away empty. You have come to the aid of your servant Israel, mindful of your mercy, the promise you made to our ancestors, to Sarah and Abraham and their descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to the Lord. Mary's song here is known as the Magnificat, and it bears some strong similarity with the song of another strong woman in scripture, the song of a woman named Hannah, who sings a song when she is finally able to conceive a child. Her child was Samuel, who became a key figure in the Old Testament. You can find their story in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But Mary, at this important moment in her life, exclaims an outburst and sings a song of praise to God. I don't know about you, but it's a little bit disorienting to me to think about a young woman whose life is in danger when people discover her secret. Her life could be taken from her. And there's no way that people cannot discover this secret. Her belly is going to grow. The time is going to come when she is going to give birth and people are going to know that her marriage to Joseph has not yet happened. Even if they were to rush it and get married right now, there are people who could count. They could count the weeks and the months and see that this child is coming a little too quickly. And yet she arrives in the home of her cousin who has nothing but joy. Elizabeth is all joy because she has conceived when she thought that time had passed, that she and Zechariah would be childless. Let's also remember that society at that time 
considered a woman who was barren or not able to conceive, to have fallen out of favor with God. There's some reason that God has closed that woman's womb and won't let her conceive. Something was not right between her and God or she would be being fruitful and multiplying and bearing children for her husband and her family. And yet we are told that Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous people. They loved and feared God and obeyed His word. So that stereotype, that accepted stance of this culture was not right. It didn't fit this situation. And now, now that she has conceived in her old age, she's vindicated. And the thing she's longed for, having a child, is going to come to her. She's joyful. And then, to add to it, her cousin, her young cousin, Mary, arrives. And her baby leaps in her womb. Her cousin, her family member, is going to be the mother of God the mother of the Messiah when God comes to earth in human form. Elizabeth is all joy. Mary is divided joy, but we hear her joy because those two things can exist at the same time. A little bit of fear, a little bit of worry, a little bit of anxiety. There can still be joy that happens right in the midst of it. And Mary is making a choice to fully experience the joy, even as she fully experiences the fear, the worry, the anxiety. She's making a choice to trust in God. And in this particular moment, her cousin, who isn't experiencing the worry and the anxiety and the fear, is going to be there to help her to shoulder her through this. So Mary may very well have gone away to visit Elizabeth so that she could escape some of the the, uh, gossip, the scandal in her hometown as people watched her belly grow. And she gets to go and be with a cousin who will be able to share with her all the things that are coming, all the ways her body's going to change, all the way her life is going to change. And having spent this time being mentored and loved and propped up by another woman, she can go home and face what she has to face. I mention all of that for several reasons. As we talk about the gift of being present this holiday season, some of us will have our lives be full of joy. We are overflowing with joy. And we need to also be mindful. That as we look around, there may be those who aren't so full of joy. Maybe their joy is mixed with other emotions. Or maybe they're just struggling to find the joy. We want to be certain that our joy and our joyful celebration does not inflict harm or hurt on those who are not finding it joyful this season. Perhaps we are merry. We have things to be joyful about. We can experience joy and we can celebrate, but we also have those things in our lives that we can't get out of the back of our mind that are not joyful. It's okay for those things to be there. We don't have to trade the joy for the things that are not joyful. 
And we don't have to ignore the things that aren't joyful in order to be part of the joy of the season. But what we can do is take those things that are not joyful and we take those things to God and we take those things to our friends and family, to the people who are part of our church family, to those who mentor us in the faith, and we let them help us walk through these moments when the things that are not joyful feel like they're going to overwhelm us. Because we can hang on to some joy with the things that we hear in Mary's song. Mary's song, the Magnificat, is a song of joy and of justice. It's interesting that when we read the Magnificat, we very often stop early in her words. We stop when she says, For you, the Almighty, have done great things for me, and holy is your name. We often stop right there with her talking about how blessed she is and how everyone is going to remember her. That's part of her blessing. And God has been so good. Because the other words that follow can make us a little uncomfortable. Hear them again. Your mercy reaches from age to age. You have shown strength with your arm. No problem yet. But the next line, you have scattered the proud in their conceit. You have deposed the mighty from their thrones. You have sent the rich away empty. On the other hand, you have raised the lowly to high places and you have filled the hungry with good things. We begin to get a little nervous when we come to these parts because this just isn't talking about God blessing us. It's talking about God leveling the playing field about God righting the wrongs. We talk about the incident in Jesus' life and ministry, once he's an adult, of turning over tables in the temple, turning things upside down. This child, this Savior, this Messiah is going to turn things upside down. He's going to turn over the tables. He's going to right the wrongs. He's going to move things back to how God created them to be. God created a world where people are not mistreated, people are not oppressed, where we don't have the haves and the have-nots. We have the everyone's have enough because we share and we are generous. When the nation of Israel was originally established, they had these cycles of seven years, and then after seven of those, every 49 years, they had a year of jubilee. Each of the 12 tribes were given land, and you would sometimes lose your land because of poor financial decisions or hardship or making a bad decision. We learn from those mistakes, but you might end up working as an indentured servant for someone You might lose your family's lands, but every 50 years came the year of Jubilee where everything reverted back. You got it restored. Things were put right. Mary's song says clearly that her expectation, her understanding of prophecy, her understanding of what the angel has said to her, her understanding of what God is doing in coming to us in coming in the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, is to make 
things right, to restore what has been taken away. It's a powerful word that makes us a little unsettled sometimes because we often realize that we find ourselves in the proud and the mighty and the rich much more than we may find ourselves identifying with the hungry and the lowly. And this season invites us to be part of making those right. It's easy for us to be very generous during the time of Christmas. Very often it um, opens hearts and loosens purse strings and we are a little more joyful, a little more patient, a little more apt to share and give and support ministries and nonprofits and those who are in need. What if we kept that gift with us all throughout the year? What if it wasn't just an Advent, just a Christmas thing? What if it was a Christian thing? What if it was a characteristic of the people who follow the Christ, who belong to the Messiah? What if the greatest gift in the world comes to you in the form of joy, of rejoicing in your blessings and sharing those with the world? The third Sunday of Advent invites us to be present with joy. How will you be joyful during this Advent, this Christmas, and this beautiful life that you have been given? Before we end, let's pray together. Most gracious and loving God, all of the circumstances of our life are not always joyful, but we can still rejoice in Christ our Savior for your presence with us, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, which is always with us, for the gift of your Son, Jesus, who came to restore and renew. Be with us during this holiday season. Give us eyes that can identify moments of joy. Give us hearts that can feel it and express it. Give us hands that are quick to share it with others. Teach us to be present with joy. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed Advent.